This episode of AVXL was recorded on November 12, 2020. We're going to talk about 2021 OLEDs. Just buy an OLED already. Holiday shopping madness. YouTube goes down. New headphones from Emotiva. Alex Trebek, Sean Connery are gone. And so much more. And don't forget, email ask at avxl.com if you got a question for us. Testing one, two, three. All right. I'm not blowing anything out. Ignorant weasels chewing on your soul. Ignorant weasels. Do you have speed? Yeah. Well, Navy Excel, your guide to the best in home video and audio gear. No matter what your budget is, I'm Patrick Norton. Hey, I am Robert Heron. I've got radio voice on today. It's 12.57 here in St. Louis, Missouri. Traffic's light on the 64th. 55's backed up due to a terrible, terrible weasel accident. And let me tell you something. The parking lot is crowded at the zoo. Ah. Hope you made a reservation. Sorry. I'll stop that now. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) I'm sorry. It's all good, man. If you're thinking about buying a television under 65 inches, Robert Heron says just buy an OLED, damn it, and quit looking around at other options. We're going to talk to him next after news at the nines. Oh, uh, yeah. For- <laughs> now you're now you're in okay. it. <laughs> I'm going to stop now. So, okay, the 2021 LG OLED, at least one of them, has a name. Or do all of them have a name? Uh, this is as reported by Mr. Vincent Tio over at HDTV Test on his awesome and lovable YouTube channel. Quote, the uh, model number for LG's 2021 OLED TV has been leaked by the Korean Communications Commission, assuming that's their version of the FCC, as the LG C1. And by extrapolation, there will be the LG B1, G1, W1, and R1 OLEDs next year, too. Nice. Keep it simple. They're not going to be the 11 series. They're not going from 10 to 11 or from X to XI or (laughs) IX. That's one brighter, isn't it? (laughs) It's going back to the one, which is kind of cool because that will match. It'll keep the year matched with the, you know, the series name. And it's less confusing that way. He also, Mr. Tio, that is, reported on his best TV of 2020 shootout. This year, it was not involving a group of panelists in person due to the uh, pandemic. This was called by his own eyeballs in a particularly good setup in terms of being able to compare a bunch of the best TVs side by side. No surprise, all of the winners were OLEDs. If you have access to the Panasonic HZ 2000, that apparently is the very best OLED on the planet. Massaged to perfection. Otherwise, the best gaming TV was the LG CX model and the best living room TV was Sony's A8. Long live OLED. If you can swing one, it's very hard to go wrong. (laughs) You're going to get good picture quality out of it, even using those built-in presets, if you can't get it calibrated. I feel like the difference between the best OLED and the worst OLED is way smaller than you might think. I would agree with that. I think they're more similar in general than not. You really have to look at a lot of content to see some specific differences. It's way easier to do something like that side by side, of course. And that's really, it's almost the only way to do it, considering that measurement wise, yeah, you're getting a lot of the same or very similar results in terms of color and contrast and things like that. But still, uh, (laughs) OLED swept the 2020 best of for TVs in America. Well, the world can't get the Panasonic here in the US, unfortunately. If you want something bigger, 65 inches, uh, at that point, OLED or projector. For me, obviously, I want my giant screen because I am 
I'm apparently a size queen now. Yeah, it depends uh, on the room, too. I mean, <laughs> if it's a really bright room or a room that is, you know, with adequate or reasonable lighting in it, projectors aren't the best option unless you're doing something very right. specific, like a light rejecting screen or something like that. OLED's the way to go if you can swing it budget wise. But when you start getting above 70 inches, suddenly OLED gets very expensive very quickly. And I can see how another display technology might be the way to go to keep uh, to keep the budget in check. Copy that. And if you are in the market for an OLED TV, guess what? We talked about this last week a little bit, but those LG OLEDs are still on sale. Uh, the, about 1400 bucks for the 55 inch, about 1900 for the 65 inch. Nice. That $50 coupon has been replaced by an LG speaker bundle on Amazon. So if you do shop Amazon for that right now, <laughs> you're not getting the extra 50 off, but yeah, you get a little portable speaker with it. <laughs> and I'm also seeing deals for the latest Samsung LCD televisions popping up to pre Black Friday pricing. So again, if you are thinking of shopping for a big item like that for the holiday season, it is better to start now than to wait when things yeah. really get sticky later in the season when everyone's trying to do the same thing and stock is going to be limited i think for just about any premium item it's been a little crazy uh i of course talked to people a lot about uh computer parts the 5000 series amd cpus if you're thinking about one for you know a, a crazy media server or gaming pc build they're sold out everywhere pretty much the day they went on sale same thing for 3000 series GPUs, although 3000 series CPUs have occasionally been popping up. You don't really need a 3000 series GPU for your living room, but I can understand my, why you might be leading in that direction if you're if you're a serious gamer. Um, now in stock.net is a great way to track the availability on that. And again, we've told you about this before. We'll tell you about it again. If you're trying to figure out if a Black Friday deal is really a Black Friday deal, camelcamelcamel.com can help. And it's best to start looking at camelcamelcamel.com early because sometimes some vendors will create an entirely new Amazon listing to eliminate the pricing history on the product right around Black Friday. We've seen it in the past. We'll see it in the future. Uh, but if you check your prices now, then if something pops up, and, and it's kind of the month of November now, not just Black Friday, but it's good to be prepared. Indeed. Because, for example, now in stock, not so good for like AVRs, for example. You know, it says the 2019 uh, Denon 3600s out of stock. Uh, that's like the entry level four channel Atmos uh, AVR from Denon. Now in stock, that says those are not available, but they actually are. Uh, it's kind of crazy. The 3600 is available, the 3700H is out of stock, and nobody knows when it's coming back. Uh, it's the one I bought earlier this summer. Nobody has the wire cutters recommended entry level AVR. That's Denon's AVR S75H. Um, you can pick it up for a fairly solid four to $500 on eBay. A lot of places had it for as low as $350 uh, on sale earlier this year. $500 is the MSRP. That comes with two uh, support for two Atmos channels. Uh, Amazon is taking pre-orders for them for delivery on December 20th. Uh, so if you are looking for an entry-level AVR and you want two channels and you want to pay less than $500, you're basically looking at eBay. It is really frustrating that there aren't more Atmos-ready AVRs in that sub-$600 price range. You know, if you're willing to pony up $600, uh, you can go with Yamaha's offering, which will also give you the ability to use like their Heos, no, excuse me, uh, not Heos speakers, uh, their wireless speakers. Heos is a Denon thing. Hopefully, Denon flogs their production line and comes up with some more units. Also, as we mentioned last week, AKM is down, AKM manufacturers, DACs that are used in a lot of devices. We will see how that impacts availability later in the year. Spotty at best. <laughs> yeah, spotty. 
It's going to be exciting, people. That's why we've given all of our children tools. Yeah, I don't know. Nah, they're getting a box of Band-Aids. That's all kids really want. <laughs> Here's a knife and a box with, of Band-Aids. With no explanation Actually, at all. <laughs> my boys got their first knife and their first house key at age eight. Uh, cool. Fortunately, they've been to fire and knife camp, and they learned about the blood circle and keeping injuries to under a four-day healing period, which is uh, one of the reasons I'll always love trackers. One more reason to own or download Blu-rays uh, or you know have a video server uh, is network streaming fails. Team YouTube, Wednesday, November 11th, 7.23 p.m. Eastern. Quote, if you're having trouble watching videos on YouTube right now, you're not alone. Our team is aware of the issue and working on a fix. We'll follow up here with any updates. That was worldwide. That's uh, crazy. Somewhere between an hour and two hours. Took out YouTube, YouTube TV, anything you purchase through Google TV, uh, formerly known as the you know Google Play Video Store, whatever you want to call it. You get the loading wheel, but nothing would actually load. There was an amazing spike for this on Down Detector, and I'll, I'll talk about that in a second. No word from YouTube as to what might have happened. Hopefully it was a sort of an internal glitch and not an attack. I am amazed any of that works at all, and an occasional yeah. glitch. I, I'm surprised it can bounce back as quick as it does. It's a pretty epic network. <laughs> they serve a lot of bits. As a YouTube premium <laughs> subscriber, I, I do uh, partake on a regular basis. Now, that is probably oh. my single biggest source of video entertainment. I'd like to think you I know. do some learning on there, too. But, you know, yeah. <laughs> Mostly entertainment yeah. and, uh, and education. YouTube. Uh, I balance it pretty good. Or I guess they call it YouTube premium. Like removing the ads, game changer. Oh, just want to say that once once you go down that route, it is very hard to give that subscription up. That will probably be the last thing I <laughs> cut a subscription on. <laughs> it's like twelve bucks a month now, but it is know, to not have multiple interruptions in my flight test videos with the boys. Truly, that's you know, the big thing. In video advertisements, but that's a whole nother hole. Uh, if you've never been to downdetector.com. Essentially, it's a great way to figure out if it's you or the service that's having issues. Uh, you know, if you can't log on, you can go there and you report your problem. Most spikes, I was looking at a bunch of like little spikes in the meters that they put the little lines they put underneath the service listings on the page were like 23 reports. Uh, YouTube's uh, last night was over 282,000. That's a lot of people trying desperately to watch videos simultaneously. Uh, I was also laughing. The Xbox folks had a really funny tweet. Quote, <laughs> every time I read this, I start laughing. Quote, we can't believe we have to say this, but please do not blow vape smoke into your Xbox Series 10. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then Oreo got involved. Oh, man. <laughs> Are people going crazy with the new consoles? Probably. Uh, yeah. Why you would vape into your console is something I'm pretty sure I don't want to know about. Well, you could be testing for airflow to make sure your cooling system is adequate, but I wouldn't be using any oil-based anything. Ah, it's electronics, man. You don't want to gum it up with anything. I'm not even sure what's in vape smoke. <laughs> Depends on the vape. I guess Depends so. Depends on what you're vaping. Yes. Oh, my goodness. I have to say, I do like your idea, though, for instead of just hammering, uh, you know, your remote control going, why, why isn't it working? You can go to something like downdetector.com. Just going back real quick to the right. video streaming services. If you are having a problem, that's a nice first step. So you know it's not you. <laughs> you can rule that out quicker. And that's always a good thing. You know, I've just, I, I 
I Bye. also I just want to say the Oreo <laughs> Twitter feed is really strange. <laughs> Oreo Vault. That's the word for it. Just remember the Oreo Vault. Hey, I follow Steakums on Twitter, man. That's the best. <laughs> company of meat sheets <laughs> with their oh practical wisdom goodness it's goodness pretty awesome if you've never read it <laughs> i haven't heard them yet uh, but emotiva has added headphones to their lineup the 299 dollar motive gr1 uh which is using quote graphene infused unquote uh essentially uh they have a vapor deposited graphene lattice on their drivers the drivers are pet polyethylene terephthalate which i'm still not saying properly decades after pet bottles you know plastic bottles pet bottles soda bottles that's essentially the same material um so they have a graphene lattice on the surface of pet drivers 50 50 millimeter dynamic drivers open back headphones the 32 ohms they're gonna be easier to drive open back means they should have a a bigger sound stage an audiophile friendly kind of thing 240 grams uh that's about eight ounces it's a, a smidge more than sony's 750 sixes which is to say they're a fairly light headphone dupont branded pet as mylar that's that's something we've seen in a lot of drivers it's cheap but it can be really effective again sony 7506s sony mdr 7506s are pet drivers graphene is an interesting material it's an allotrope of carbon consisting of a single layer of atoms arranged in a two-dimensional honeycomb lattice uh if uh i've cutting and pasting from Wikipedia correctly. Uh, it's a scientific way of saying incredibly strong uh, carbon fiber tech. If you strip down uh, carbon to kind of its its smallest thing, it's an atom thick. It's ridiculously strong. It's like the strongest material ever tested. It's also the thinnest, hardest, and most conductive material ever. It also conducts heat really well. Graphene shows up as a major component in, say, the drivers, the the mid and base drivers on Magico's $175,000 M6 speakers, which, by the way, sound fantastic. And for $175,000, they delete expletive should. Adding graphene to carbon fiber in tiny amounts, uh, Penn State did a study on this, more than doubled its strength and nearly doubled its stiffness, like made it 185% stiffer. Carbon fiber, by the way, already a fairly stiff material. Uh, Adding graphene to PET isn't nearly as impressive, but it should make them significantly stiffer than they were before. And it sounds like they've come up with a way to do this fairly cost-effectively. That's great. If you're able to still use a common material for headphone construction or driver construction, then simply add a bit of the graphene magic to it for that like you said increased stiffness and hopefully even better strength and longevity for the product as well cool one of the studies i said was like a two percent like adding two percent graphene to a mix made it like 15 percent stiffer that's a big percentage uh early reports are that they're kind of v-shaped um they have a lot of base which makes the mid-range seem a bit sunk i'm curious to hear them uh if i get a chance to i will let you know what they sound like very cool. Want to do some viewer questions? Listener questions? I want <laughs> to hear these questions. What are they? <laughs> Sean F. McMahon tweets, heard you guys might be talking about Atmos a bit in your next AVXL episode. I'm curious of your experience on matching Atmos speakers. I'd really like to save some money with Monoprice. Not exactly easy to match. Emotiva ERT 8.3 in ceiling. I almost always get surround and, in this case, in-ceiling speakers uh, from the same manufacturer as, and preferably the same lineup 
as my left and right and center channel. That would be the ideal. If it's from the same company in that same series and you get something that's tonally very similar, that is what you're trying to do. However, if that's simply not possible and you simply need two, four X number of speakers to put up in the ceiling, right? I can be a little more flexible with that as long as they're not drastically different sounding or you're trying to put really tiny speakers in the ceiling compared to say something more substantial for your front channels and your center yeah. channel. It's frustrating, right? Because the Emoti speakers he's talking about, they're probably about, I'm guessing, around 10 years old. They're no longer made. Emotiva makes the Airmotive Volta. They have in-ceiling speakers for essentially Atmos use. They're like 300 bucks a pair. They are a totally different tweeter technology, a totally different design. Probably would be a little squirrely to match with uh, his speaker system. And of course, the ERD-1s, which are the surround channels Emotiva made to go with those speakers, are fairly, they're like bookshelf-sized speakers. You could, you know, put them on the ceiling and angle them down, but those would be a nightmare to mount. Uh, I would say try the monoprice speakers and see if they are sort of a, a match to your ears. Several years ago at a show called HD Nation, I, I, I once suggested that it was just sort of like, you know, stuff coming out of the surround speakers and nearly got my head ripped off. Uh, actually, justifiably got my head ripped off uh, by someone who mixes surround sound uh, soundtracks for a living. Oh, really so I now? will never say that again uh, because it's not true. And especially when you're talking about uh, doing Atmos, um, you, you want decent speakers and you want them to match as close as you can to your front, right, and center speakers. I, I'd say give them a shot. I would. Worst thing that can happen is, you know, you're audibly like, oh, God, those don't sound even close. Um, But chances are, uh, with a little bit of luck, they'll sound pretty good. There's really no other thing you can do. I'm just lust scrolling through the Monopress website in their selection of in-ceiling speakers. They have a bunch of two-way and even three-way designs. They, You know, yeah, there's lots of good angles there, including where you have angled drivers as well so if they are Mm -hmm. going to be close to a wall say in terms of the final mount position they can be adjusted somewhat in terms of where they're throwing that sound which that's pretty common it's not exactly like their monolith lineup is really impressive not all of it but a lot of their stuff the m565c planar magnetic headphones are outstanding they're really good they have some really unhinged THX certified subwoofers. Uh, yep. There's some really, their amplifiers, uh, the monolith amplifiers are made by ATI. They build amplifiers in California and they I own two of their amplifiers. They're beasts uh, in the best possible way. What's the size of that Emotiva ERT speaker? Do you know offhand? I imagine they're in the four foot plus range. Oh, okay. Um, okay. The, you know, the bookshelf speakers are smaller, but I've never actually seen one in the wild. I've only read about them on Sound and Vision. Understood. (laughs) Those are pretty beefy tower speakers. And what's the size of the driver in that sucker? Just to see. Oh, five and a quarter woofer. I would be tempted to get something like a six inch speaker for the ceiling or a six and a half or whatever that is. Try to balance it just so it's like you're not oversizing one and undersizing the other and vice versa. Now I feel like I've I've under-spec'd my own... (laughs) Most speakers in the ceiling. Bigger speakers, better. If, to a point. Yeah. <laughs> to a practical well, point. Yeah. There's a practical point, and then there's sort of a point of no return, which we will we'll try to avoid this week. 
We got another tweet from Henry, a.k.a. Gaming with Florida Man, a.k.a. at Kaido1986. He tweeted out, I'm looking at Wirecutter's bookshelf speaker picks. They're at Q Acoustics 3020Is, the pick of the ELAC debut B6.2. Have any input? I know you sing the ELAC praises. Any 3020i experience? Uh, yeah, actually, I looked at the uh, 3020i versus the ELAC debut 6.2s a couple of years ago on uh, Tech Thing when I was still doing that. I like the Q Acoustics 3020i. It was really impressive, especially with vocals and jazz. I found if I you know, fired up my ever so beloved Rage Against the Machine or other heavy music that it felt like the tweeters hardened up. They didn't do super loud in your face stuff as well as the debuts did. I should also point out that Elac's got a couple additions to the debut lineup and a Unify update uh, that have come out. I haven't heard yet. I'm kind of curious to hear the uh, reference version of the debuts. Although my loose understanding is that the reference version of the debut 6.2 is very, very similar uh, to the 3020i and that it's super friendly to singer songwritery stuff, but not as thumping and rocking in your face to use some uh, loose and easily evadable terms. That's cool. Uh, <laughs> and not measurement. For me, I kind of preferred the Elax, uh, the DB, uh, B6.2. However, uh, I will say that the Q Acoustics 3020Is, they look fantastic. They're extremely well designed. Certainly in that mid-range and vocal areas, they are spectacular. If you're not into sort of heavier music or hard rock, you may not uh, you may not have an issue with the 3020i. For me, it was when I turned them up, uh, it felt like the tweeters hardened up a bit and didn't give the kind of same awesomeness that they did at lower, more human levels. Good to know. At Ray Zorbach tweeted out, what do you suggest for the best sounding wireless home Dolby Atmos setup? The problem is, is you can't really have a wireless Atmos setup because even if you had wireless Atmos satellites, they still need to be plugged into a wall. True. You got to have that power for the speaker. Stupid, but <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> even wireless. You know, just, I just want to say that there's always going to be a cord. The problem with Atmos, you know, our ideal situation is Atmos in the ceiling above you, and that requires having power in the ceiling above you. If, if you have a self-powered speaker, I have not seen a self-powered Atmos speaker in that sense. That it's designed to be ceiling mounted. That said, there are some pretty impressive uh, sound bars that do some Atmos and. Uh, uh, I do love the Sonos Arc for its its yeah. Atmos capabilities for a soundbar product is fan freaking tastic. When I think of wireless speakers, though, I have to say one of my first like truly if you're looking for great wireless speakers, Klipsch's reference series using that WISA technology. Still, you're gonna have to plug the speakers into a power source, but there is no cord going to each individual speaker in your setup. And that's something I have not only just admired the design of, it works really well and they look fantastic. It's not the least expensive thing out there, but if you're looking for a great sound and it has to be wireless, that is one way to do it. Atmos though, it comes back to Atmos. I don't see in their reference wireless series and even an upfiring option. So right. you're talking more like 5.1, really, really good yeah. 5.1, but still. Something like that. There are a ton of up-firing Atmos speakers that are designed mostly for two-channel. Typically, they're two-channel use. They go on your front left and right speaker. They bounce off the ceiling down to you. KEF makes them. PSB makes them. ELAC makes them. You know, we're also kind of curious. Vizio is going to have a, a fairly sophisticated sort of Atmos-friendly uh, soundbar rig that's coming out. Should be out right about now. Uh, Full disclosure, I, I also happen to have a 2019 LG OLED TV that had the built-in WISA transmitter 
or at least as a free option built right into the TV. Okay. So it's one of those few TVs that actually, hey, you could just simply add something like the Clips Reference Wireless Series to it and be kind of be done, uh, or you wouldn't need a separate receiver. It would just be whatever yeah. source devices you've plugged directly into the TV itself. But that, that's kind of an odd yeah. oddity yeah. But, <laughs> in terms of setup. If but, you ask <laughs> Dolby, right, their, their solution for wireless Atmos speakers is to use elevation speakers, which is their term for, you know, the, the ones that fire up, okay. sit on top of your speakers or built into the top of your speakers. Kind of makes sense. They would uh, say that. Yeah. I mean, definitive makes speakers or makes speakers with, you know, elevation speakers built into the top. And there's a lot of options, just none that are actually like a handheld Bluetooth speaker that you can, you know, Velcro to the ceiling. Although True. I'm sure someone's trying that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> just buy enough inexpensive, rechargeable speakers, link them properly. Oh, my goodness. Oh, that would be so hilarious, but probably not practical. That would be. <laughs> we put neodymium magnets in the ceiling. Phil emailed ask at avxl.com. He says, hey, guys, made a realization recently about working from home. Why do I continue to wear headphones while I work? It's not like my music and podcasts are going to be disturbing my non-existent office mates. So I decided to move my Elac Debut 2.0 B6.2 bookshelf speakers into my office after putting in a Sonos Beam in our living room for the TV. What would you recommend to drive the speakers I moved to the office? I currently have the Denon AVR I originally had in the living room, but I'm looking at potentially simplifying the setup in the office now. Thoughts on the wire cutter recommendations for mini stereo amps? And then he says, most of the things I listen to throughout the day are Spotify Premium, podcast sent to the AVR via AirPlay for my iOS devices. I do have one of the Chromecast audio devices gathering dust after I picked up one when they were being discontinued. Does that change up your recommendations? An understandable situation. I personally, oh I wear headphones all the time. I have no speakers plugged into my workstation because, yeah, one, I have become beyond annoyed at certain websites that just autoplay audio or or <laughs> even if it's accidental, it's nice to, oh, wait, I can barely hear it from the headphones hanging next to me and it's not being blasted through a set of speakers. And for right. me personally, wearing headphones really helps me focus on whatever I'm doing. It just, it eliminates more of the little distractions that may be around me at the time. However, I understand that, yeah, working from home, especially if you have a private office, <laughs> you, you may want to ditch the headphones and actually go for <laughs> repurposing those ELACs. I work a lot with headphones because it helps me to... Uh focus and not hear my children when they're being loud. Uh, I also have typically had bookshelf speakers on my desktop uh, on and off for like the last 15 years of working. I am a bit of an amp junkie and I've used a whole bunch of different amps on my desktop. Would you say then that an AVR is like that Denon he has is probably overkill for what he's trying to do? Is there, do you think there oh, is something? Hand, it's, it's it would work. It's, it's funny, right? And he has is it. it. Is it overkill? Absolutely. It is totally <laughs> overkill. It is also free and he has it, which, yeah. you know, the, the reduce, reuse, recycle part of me is like, yes, keep using the AVR because you already have it, you know, or you could buy something else for your desktop and put the AVR in the garage and get more speakers. Um, and then you can either, you know, run the whatever, whatever amp you end up in your desktop, you can, you can put the Chromecast into it. I typically actually prefer to run my audio off my desktop computer uh, or my laptop at my desktop. I'm currently, I have a desktop computer. I have an optical out to a set of uh, Kef LSX speakers, and I have a different output off of a uh, JDS Labs Atom that is running to another amplifier because I'm a freak 
week, and I've been going back and forth between these these uh, uh, self-powered and uh, unpowered speakers. As far as Wirecutter's AMP recommendations go, uh, Brent Butterworth is a really solid reviewer, and if he says something is good, he is probably right. He is one of the finest audio reviewers I have ever met or read, uh, and is is his recommendations are solid. Curious if I have an optical output on my computer. I have to look. Probably I in your probably motherboard. Do. They, it's always kind of frankly amazing audio built into my computer in my new workstation yeah. build. It, it sounds fantastic. And it also, you it's, know, of course, has HDMI out. And I can always use that with an appropriate. Yeah. Well, using it with an AVR would be simple. I'm wondering, do any of these mini amplifiers support anything like HDMI audio input? Probably not. No. You're probably looking at something more along the lines of optical, like you said, or, of course, analog. Yeah. Again, I'm a freak of nature. I own like 11 DACs because I've been looking at DACs for a long time and they, they sort of pile up. There are people who are okay with the Chromecast audio output. There are people that would prefer running the Chromecast into a discrete DAC. That's a conversation uh, maybe for next week. Cool. You know, it also depends on how critical a listener you are. One of the coolest amps I've seen in a long time, you you may love or may hate uh, the way it looks, but a company called Allo makes some really impressive measuring amplifiers and they're Volt Plus D. It's like two 60 watt channels. It's $130. You're going to pay an extra 20 bucks for a 19 volts power supply, or you're going to buy your own power supply. They're a little kind of DIY on the uh, on the uh, Raspberry Pi side of things, but uh, Audio Science Review measured it. The performance is incredible, given the amount of money you're paying for it. It's using a TI, I want to say 3116. That is a really impressive Class D amplifier. We first heard it a few years ago at CES, and it's it just keeps taking names and kicking ass. And this is a pretty impressive implementation. I don't know what the measurements are for something like Emotiva's uh, Base X A100, but I own one of those I paid for out of my own pocket. Uh, And it has a really hefty power supply system in there. It has a fan, which I've never actually heard turn on, but you have a tremendous amount of power inside of that. It's like 50 watts, or I want to say it'll go to 80 watts continuous into 4 ohms, 50 watts into 8 ohm speakers. So that's got a little bit more oomph, but not that much more. Class D amplifiers are really impressive uh, right now. That's cool. And that sells for about $230. The Volt D with a power supply, if you don't have one in your house, is going to sell for about $150. There are lots of options in there. Uh, you know, any of those amplifiers that Brett recommends are probably quite good. I like more power, but when you're on a desktop, you don't need a huge amount of power. You may need 100 watts per channel. You may want 100 watts per channel in your living room, but you are not going to be using, unless you're A, deaf, or B, trying to flatten your eardrums, um, you're not going to be using a whole lot of amplification power uh, with speakers on your desktop um, because they're very close to you. Good point. (laughs) Good point. So, you know, any of Brett's recommendations on the wire cutter are probably extremely solid. Fantastic. You, sir, you, sir, are on a quest. I am. I need a new PC monitor, and what I really want... Well, if I had five grand, I know what I'd go buy. But I, <laughs> considering I, I want to keep my budget reasonable, I'm looking really for something in the 27 inch size that is just about perfect for my current desk. I want it at 1440p and 144 hertz plus and display HDR 600 or a thousand would be ideal. But 
still. Uh, even finding something with these specs alone, so far I'm finding, is simply not easy. I found a few that match everything on this. Dell had one display, but it was HDR 400 instead of 600 or greater. And that may not sound like a huge deal, but just about every decent monitor out there could in essence, if it, if it can be compatible with an HDR signal, could be labeled as an HDR 400 monitor. That's generally right. saying there will be at least somewhere in the neighborhood of 400 nits of peak white output or peak light output. That's not hard to do today. I really want something with even greater punch, though. I've sat in front of 1,000-nit PC monitors. And they can be very bright, especially if you're dealing with a very high average picture level picture, uh, something like a, a snow scene or something with lots of bright white light in it. However, for things like enhancements of a particular scene, like the glinting off of chrome or highlights in, right. in rain or things like that, or just anything that's shiny and glowy and crispy, that's, you can't have enough brightness really. And that's why I really want something on that level of, say, 600 nits or greater. Ideally, too, it would also match with a full array local dimming backlighting system as well, if it can't right. be something per pixel, say, like OLED. But anyway, that's what I'm looking for. If anybody has any ideas, I, I, I'm, I'm searching. I, I keep my eye open for all the new monitor releases coming out. And, <laughs> and I'm still awaiting what my next graphics card will be. I haven't... I thought I was just going to go for the 3080, but now I'm flipping back and forth between that and whatever AMD is putting out toward the end of the month here. I'm waiting for all of it to settle down, though. It's a little crazy out there, like you said. And, I, and I'm not in a hurry. If I don't have this by Christmas, it's not the end of my world. I can wait. I yeah. can wait till early next year before I start getting really itchy. <laughs> well, it's it's pretty crazy, right? Because the, the first VESA uh, certified HDR displays we saw on the computer side came out, I want to say, two years ago. Right. Uh, uh, or it feels like two years ago. I think it was actually 2019. And some of that technology has made it into the marketplace. Yeah. However, for something, say, yeah. like a 4K panel from the Asus Pro Art series, that will do a thousand, that will do 1200 nits with Dolby right. Vision HDR10 support built right in. That is a $5,000 monitor though. Yeah. There are hundreds of monitors, I want to say, listed on Newegg. There are 30 that are, you know, VESA certified for 400, 600, or 1,000. Cool. Yeah, uh, you know what? Output. I will, there are I will eight dig a little harder. There are 600 or 1,000. Yeah. Oh, well, okay. it's, it's funny. Yeah. Display HDR 400. You know, when that when that came out in 2019, most 2018 televisions didn't even reach 400 nits. PC monitors or displays. That's like the yeah. upper limit for LCD backlights in general was in that three to 400 nit range. Now with TVs, premium TVs hitting, you know, 800, 1000 nits or higher, much right. higher. It's something I really want, though, in a PC display. I definitely want a wide color palette. Right. Something like DCI color points on a, on a color right. chart that, that expand well and beyond what is currently pretty common with BT709 in terms of regular color. I want that extended color palette that's used in more content. And I want the brightness to back it up with really good contrast. Right. I know in another couple of years, these will be more common than they are today, but uh, I'm I'm itching. I'm itching for that too. <laughs> I want one. I want one now. But I'm also Don't looking forward all. to just upgrading the size of the monitor while trying to balance the pixel per inch. I don't simply want a larger display with, you know, 1080p right. resolution. I want the resolution well, to scale quite nicely so that my pixel densities don't change a hell of a lot or get better, I should say. 
It's really funny. The the only HDR1000 VESA certified monitors, there's like the Acer Predator, which is a 35-inch, 3440 by 1440 WQHD display. And then there's a couple of Samsung 49-inch displays that are 5120 by 1440. That's a little uh, crazy for my needs. Yeah. yeah, yeah. A, a thousand is really getting into the rarefied places of what lcds yeah. are putting out today yeah at even reasonable prices or remark <laughs> relatively reasonable prices so if i could get something 600 plus mm. that acer predator is unhinged because it's 3440 by 1440 200 hertz uh at a thousand nits um for my gaming performance i really have no need but, to go above 1440p because it's the refresh rate and the frame rate is more important to me than the absolute right. resolution. I'd rather have that fluid 60 hertz display firing away or faster, <laughs> but mm -hmm. a, a consistent 60 hertz is really nice to work with. And if I can get something that's a consistent 120 or 144 or faster, right. that's where I'm aiming. And I want my color performance. Granted, oh, I can always man. calibrate, but... I just want the uh, like, the base performance to be built right in so I can take it from there. Would you consider non-VESA certified? You, you know, for me, it seems smart to go for like HDR 600 or HDR 400 certification if, if you're looking for that on a monitor. Do you totally. care if it's VESA certified? Having that uh, certification ensures a few things that should be there. I couldn't imagine any monitor right. that can hit those qualifications that doesn't also have that certification built right in. So that's right. a quick test right there. So rather than saying, you know, display HDR 400, yeah, I want a monitor that does at least, can do at least 400 peak nits of light output, uh, ideally 600 or greater. And, and if that can be in a well-contrast controlled environment, all the better. I'm not interested <laughs> in having a 48-inch 4K OLED in front of my face. Granted, the size alone isn't practical for my setup. It's like watching a tennis game. I should also just check out what the pixel per inch is at 48 inches for 4K right. versus, say, 27 inches for 1440p. I'm willing to bet the 1440p at 27 inches is actually greater in terms of the pixels per inch. You know what? I shouldn't even guess. I should just look that up. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> you know where I'm going there. I, I'm in no hurry, but something in that 27-inch-ish category at that resolution and that refresh rate and that My brightness and color. Daddy might wants. be worth waiting until after CES. <laughs> yeah, you know, or at least after the first of the year. So that's on my short list, though, of things I'm, I'm looking to acquire. There is coveting going on here, people. There mm -hmm. is coveting. Oh, my goodness. That $2,500 Predator monitor from Acer is kind of unhinged. Uh, when I say kind of unhinged, I mean totally unhinged. <laughs> I've seen plenty of prototype monitors, especially when they launched uh, display HDR 1000. They had that prototype monitor sitting there. And I'm almost certain that is what went into something like the Asus ProArt monitor and became yeah. a very high end, a beautiful working class monitor. But it's also standard in certain ways. I don't believe it goes above 60 hertz. I could be wrong on that. But anyway. Uh, that's a lustworthy monitor. Hey, if if that landed in my on my desk, I would uh, I would not keep be complaining about the extra resolution, let alone you know twelve hundred nits of light output. <laughs> Holy <laughs> cow! There are worse things. And that thing calibrates beautifully. It's got a beautiful workflow. We were dealing with some incredibly cold weather um, 
uh, earlier this year during the pandemic, and we're looking to have some sort of quality television we could watch with the boys one afternoon that wasn't going to drive us insane, not to suggest that children's cartoons always drive us insane, but they often do. Uh, and we, we settled on Jeopardy, which is on Netflix, as we were sitting there at 7,000 feet in southeastern Colorado. Uh, and it was amazing to watch the children be incredibly absorbed by Alex Trebek doing his Alex Trebek thing. Uh, so a shout out to Alex Trebek, who passed at 80 uh, uh, just this week. And, I had to rewatch uh, the episode of the X-Files. I think it was season three, episode 20, where he played a men in black character who uh, it was one of the funniest. <laughs> if you've never seen it, you can look up the clip on YouTube. And it's just one of the smile inducing WTF yeah. LOL moments of that show. Jesse, the body Ventura is also in that same sequence as another men in black oh character. Goodness. And it, the whole thing is just hilarious. But that I immediately had to go back and just look that up real quick. I think circa 1995, if anyone cares about that particular <laughs> X-Files episode. But yeah, we always care about X-Files episodes. Rest in peace, Mr. Oh Trebek. Goodness. And uh, rest in peace, Sean Connery, who passed away. Well, October 31st, he passed away. So we're, we're a little overdue to give uh, Mr. Connery a shout out. I was fascinated. Rotten Tomatoes did their list of all of Sean Connery's movies ranked by the tomato meter, which they had 51 movies, which doesn't seem like nearly as many movies uh, as he made. But uh, the man had an extraordinary career. I was delighted to find that some of my favorite Sean Connery movies made it in the top 10, including uh, Time Bandit, which is one of my favorite movies of all time. Uh, Dr. No, The Molly McGuire's The Hunt for Red October, also a great movie. And of course, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, which is possibly my favorite Indiana Jones movie. The Highlander better be in there somewhere. In that top ten. Oh my goodness! <laughs> you know it's funny. It may not be okay. I'm opening. It, I gotta it, open it the may link not, now. No. Hold on, everybody. I got a Google search. Um, uh, the Highlander. Speaking of movies that had a huge uh, impact on me in my teen years, uh, The Untouchables and Finding Forrester and The Name of the Rose were in the top twenty. Uh, Finding Forrester, I loved. The Untouchables is one of my favorite movies, kind of ever. The Name of the um, Rose was a cool movie. I just remember being, yes. I, I love the stylization of that in, in how it was presented. I don't recall if it was a good movie or not, but still, I do remember how it looked and the creepiness factor. <laughs> it was, ex yeah, extraordinary movie. The Highlander 2, by the way, is number 50. I never saw the that. The 1991 sequel. <laughs> no, one, no one admits to seeing that. It had it has a zero score oh. on its meter. Um, however... The Highlander, 1986, uh, which uh, <laughs> critics consensus people hate Highlander because it's cheesy, bombastic, and absurd, and people love it for the same reasons. Exactly. Uh, truly some of my favorite sword fights of all time. Uh, the 1986 movie uh, has a 69% positive on the tomato meter. Good deal. Yeah. The Name of the Rose was was pretty crazy. Uh, I, I really enjoyed finding want to go back and see that again, uh, actually. Uh, and the Untouchables, uh, I was delighted to. Um, there's just a lot of callbacks to classic cinema in the Untouchables, or maybe there's just one great callback. And if you're curious about what that is, uh, the cinematic movie that it references, uh, do us a favor, email ask at abxl.com. The Queen's Gambit, by the way, just started watching that on Netflix. Really impressive. I'm looking forward to wrapping through that one. Um, and uh, <laughs> this is a great thing. Fire extinguishers, <laughs> non-home theater gifts I was for the holiday shopping gift season. Gift ideas. And yeah, if you know anyone 
who doesn't have a fire extinguisher in their car or in their home, that's something <laughs> I would consider hooking them up with. And in particular, I use one of the Halotron BC rated fire extinguishers in my car. That is also ideal for electronics fires because it isn't spewing out caustic powder that gets into everything. This at least is a, <laughs> is a gas granted in enclosed area. You should be aware that this gas that this extinguisher uses is it's not really bre it's breathable, but it isn't going to give you oxygen. You will asphyxiate in an enclosed environment. Yeah. So just be aware of that. However, Halotronic extinguishers are compared to the cleanup afterwards are way nicer to work with. <laughs> They're more expensive too, but uh, yeah, shop around. There's probably better brands than others, but uh, what was that brand I have for my wonderful Amorex? Yeah, that one I have no problem with in terms of the build quality. It, like I said, that one lives in the trunk of my car just in case, but I do appreciate a non-powdered based extinguisher for the occasional use when needed a good five pound one for the home oh yeah at least something <laughs> depending oh, on your goodness. cooking skills <laughs> i uh i have our uh, kitchen fires a regular occurrence well <laughs> one would hope not i have I hope uh, so too. two 10 pound fire extinguishers abc uh fire extinguishers in my house and i keep usually a five pound fire extinguisher in in each of my cars because i'm weird like that uh there are many good brands. I like, yeah, I, 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 it's funny. I actually was laughing because I got a phone call from the fire extinguisher servicing place in Oakland I used to go to. Oh, and funny. it reminded me that I need to get my fire extinguishers uh, inspected and recertified, but I have to find a place to do that here in St. Louis. So, uh, you know, I would like to have some Halotron fire extinguishers, but I, I usually want all of the fire extinguishing power. <laughs> yes, A, B, and C. Not just that B, C. And 10 pounds of it. I always laugh because people are like, I have a fire extinguisher and it's a little like one pound or 2.5 pound, which is better than nothing. Yeah. I used to keep a five pound one next to my desk in uh, when I worked at Revision 3 just to see who noticed. <laughs> and if you, you know, sometimes you, you might already own a fire extinguisher. Just make sure you know where it is. Make sure everyone in the house does. You know, basics. Well, make sure it's also not 10 years because the one in this house we found in this house was hysterical because it was like a one pound fire extinguisher <laughs> mounted in an awkward place in a stairwell and it's dead. It's it's right. it's lost its charge. Um, Dispose of know, that. Nothing more embarrassing than reaching for a dead fire extinguisher. Oh. Uh, in yeah. which case... <laughs> Look for the yeah. Dinner is Look ruined. Look for the baking soda. The house is on fire. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. But we saved money on that fire extinguisher, oh. honey. I'm gonna try to get outdoors well, and do a little cooking for the holiday season this year. I want to try to use our smoker for a turkey. That's the goal. Oh, smoked turkey. There's an amazing barbecue place here in St. Louis, and they're offering smoked turkeys. It's called Beast Ooh. Barbecue. It's it's actually kind of world-class and uh they're talking about doing smoked turkeys for thanksgiving and i'm sorely tempted i'm sorely tempted i think it's lunchtime with that ladies and gentlemen <laughs> if you if you have some thoughts on sean connery movies your favorite alex trebek moment something you think we should be watching a question about home theater audio gear headphones portable personal audio uh do us a favor email ask at avxl.com or tweet at patrick norton or at robert heron and with that, we wish you a very good week. I'm Patrick Norton. I am Robert Heron. Catch next week on AVXL.